You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. For a while, my wife and I lived on the East Coast in Delaware, helped a guy plant a church out there and worked as a youth pastor. And I got the opportunity while I was out there to do some fishing in tidal waters and a little bit offshore. And I really enjoyed that. Now, I should prereq pre I, I don't I should tell you before we get started. There's probably a word for that. Uh, feel free to tell me after search. I'm not much of a fisherman, but I like to go fishing with fishermen because they know what they're doing. I do not know what I'm doing. But we had this guy in our church, and he had a boat, and so I became his friend, and I did become his friend, not just because he had a boat. And we would go fishing sometimes. And he usually liked to start fishing at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, and we'd go out and stay out till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, depending on if the fish were biting. And we'd go in the Delaware River. So the Delaware River flows up from the Atlantic Ocean up through Philadelphia. And it kind of opens up into a bay and certain parts of it along the coast of Delaware get pretty big. And we were out fishing one night and there was a wall that sort of held the silt back so that they could, it would dredge the river so that the big ships could come in and out there. And that wall was visible by a couple of feet at low tide. But at high tide, you couldn't always see that wall. Sometimes you'd see birds just standing on the wall, but their feet would be in just a little bit of water. And there was a couple of lights that would mark the openings of that wall where the boat could go. And at this particular time, one of those lights was out. So you had to know which side of the light you needed to go on and have an understanding of what the tide was doing to know how to not hit that wall with your boat. Again, I'm along for the ride. We go out. He's explaining this to me, but I can see the wall, or at least a little bit of it. The tide was coming in. And uh, we went out and we fished for two or three hours. And as we fished, a storm blew in. And I remember riding back in that boat, and the rain was coming down, and you could see lightning hitting the water quite a ways away, but also pretty close for my comfort. And we're running full out, and I thought we would get to that spot where the light was and the wall was, and we would probably slow down and make sure that we had everything just right. That apparently was not my buddy's uh, idea. You know, we just kept hammering down and I see the light. I, I could remember which side. We just kind of turned and whoom, and, and I knew that that wall was right there, but we couldn't see it because of the tide. And, and we made it. We didn't die. But I have to tell you, I was pretty scared. I, uh, 
I, I wasn't a real big fan of the storm. I wasn't a fan of the visibility that we had. Like I'm in the front kind of holding the spotlight for him. And also I'm thinking if we hit a wall, I'm the guy that's just going to go flying, you know, who knows where I'm going to end up. That's probably the most scared I've ever been on the water. And it was nothing compared to the story that we have this morning in Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 4 and verse number 35. We were in Mark chapter 3 this morning, and so we are skipping a large section of Mark chapter 4. Really, the first 34 verses are predominantly Jesus' teaching. And when we started this series, I mentioned that Mark does not record a lot of Jesus' teaching, but we have here a couple of parables that Jesus gives, and most significantly is the parable of the sower and the seeds. And we looked at that last year in a series we did. We looked out of the Gospel of Matthew for that, but the same parable, the same teaching that Jesus gave. He ends all of these parables, or Mark ends his recording of these parables, with the parable of the mustard seed, where Jesus talked about the idea that the mustard seed was such a small seed, and yet from it grew such a large herb, that it was really a tree, and birds would come, and they would nest in it. And We know that in another teaching, Jesus talked about that same parable with the idea of faith, that a little bit of faith can blossom to do great and amazing things. And then in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35, it says, As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. I've mentioned several times, but I feel like it's necessary to mention again, my wife and I got the opportunity to go to Israel in May, last May. And one of the things we did was stay right there on the Sea of Galilee. It's a a, a giant lake, and it's, it's a natural lake, and so... There are, are hills around it. We were staying on uh, uh, up near Capernaum. Like that, that would be the Galilee area where Jesus often ministered and was. And we know that he would go in this trip diagonal kind of across the lake, probably about as far a journey as you could have across that Sea of Galilee. And so Jesus is headed that way, but soon, verse 37, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping on the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Now, here's the thing. When I was on that boat in Delaware... And I was scared because it was raining and we were, I was worried about hitting that un, that under the water wall. I am not 
expert. I've spent a very small amount of time in a boat. I was never in the Navy. I can't tie good knots. I, none of that. So it might be understandable that I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing. Jesus is on the boat with fishermen. These men made their living fishing on the Sea of Galilee for years. James and John, Peter and Andrew grew up on the water. You can imagine that probably even as young boys, they would be on the boat with their father fishing. They knew the lake. They knew the, the currents. They knew what was happening. They had been in storms before, but this storm was so severe that they woke Jesus up with, we're going to die. Now, that probably happened at some point, right? That boats got caught out on the water and they sank. And so these men were seasoned fishermen. They knew the difficulty. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? <laughs> How about the waves are crashing over the side of the boat we're taking on water, and this is this storm is more severe than the storm that sank old Uncle Jesse just two years ago. I don't know if that happened or not. But these guys probably had reason in their mind to be afraid. But Jesus said, why are you afraid? And then he said this, do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. It's interesting here, right? Jesus calms the storm, asks them why they're afraid. They don't become unafraid. Now, at this point, they're not afraid they're going to drown. They're not afraid that the boat is going to sink. The waves are calm, but they're terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. They've seen Jesus heal the man with the deformed hand. They've seen Jesus restore sight to the blind. They've seen him do amazing things. And yet this miracle, I think for these fishermen, probably hit really close to home. Because their life was dictated by what happened on that sea. If the storm was too bad, they just couldn't go fish. They had no control over that. They, they, they didn't have a way to affect the weather. If the tides were bad, if the weather was bad, if the fishing was bad, they just had to deal with that. But now they're in the presence of Jesus. And this storm rolls in, and the waves are crashing over, and the boat is taking on water, and they think they're going to drown. And Jesus gets up, and other versions say he rebuked 
the wind. Bad wind. I don't know that that's how he did it, but he rebuked it. Come on, wind, what are you doing? Quit it. Come on, see, calm down. sea was calm. The wind ceased. The rain stopped. And the disciples were terrified. And then he says, do you still have so little faith? He had just given them the parable of the mustard seed. He just talked to them about how a little faith in, in God can grow and do amazing things. But here in the middle of that, I mean, Jesus had said to the disciples, first of all, it's not like later when they would be by themselves and not with Jesus. This was the son of God. This was the Messiah. And he said, get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. He had already told them what they were going to do. But they thought they were going to drown. Surely, Had they thought about it, they would have recognized that this was not God's plan, right? It wasn't God's plan to have his son come and be born in the form of a man, to to live a life, to grow up, to begin an earthly ministry, only to be caught in a storm and drowned. But That's not what they were thinking about. They were thinking about the water coming into the boat, and they were thinking about how they were going to die. Notice, too, that not all storms come from disobedience. Remember Jonah? I didn't put the verses up there, but you probably know the story. If not, I'd encourage you to go back at least read Jonah chapter 1. God comes to a prophet whose name is Jonah, and he says, I want you to go uh, to Nineveh, and I want you to preach my, uh, my judgment is coming to this city. And Jonah didn't want to do it, so he got on a boat, and he went the opposite direction. And the Bible says a storm came up. Jonah, like Jesus, was asleep in the boat while the storm was happening. Only Jonah was operating under a false sense of security. And we know that the storm came as God's judgment on Jonah. Eventually, Jonah understands this, goes to the crew and goes, you know, if you will throw me over, and they had already thrown over their cargo and a bunch of their their tackle because they were just trying to lighten the boat so that they wouldn't die. Again, this was a serious storm and a serious situation. And Jonah says, if you'll throw me over, the storm will stop. And I imagine those guys went, oh, man, that's too bad. One. And, hey, who can blame them? They were probably thinking, we're all going to die. Maybe we'll throw this guy over. Just give it a shot. And it worked. They threw him in. The storm stopped. Those guys, as far as we know, all survived. So did Jonah, just not in as good a way. Right? A fish came and swallowed him. For three days and three nights he was there, and then the fish vomited him out, and then he thought, maybe I ought to do what God called me to do. And in that case, disobedience brought the storm. And sometimes disobedience brings storms. 
Sometimes you live your life the way you want to live it. You do what you want to do, not what God's word tells you to do. And then all of a sudden, what you reap from that from that sowing, that planting, is a storm in your life. And I'm guessing that you, like me, have been there. You've been in a storm. Now, you're surprised at the ferocity of the storm. You're surprised about how bad it is. You, may, you might just be surprised that it came at all, but when you really sit and think about it, you're like, yeah, I pretty much made this storm. But not all storms come from disobedience. Not in the case of the disciples in Mark chapter 4. Jesus said, get in the boat, we're going to the other side. The disciples seemingly did exactly what Jesus told them to do, and they ended up in a storm anyway. Those might be even worse. When you end up in the storm and it's not your fault, I mean, if you're like me, you've sailed through a lot of self-made storms. But when it's not your fault, and you feel like you're going to drown, think about the timing of this. Jesus gives this teaching. He talks about sowing and scattering and spreading the gospel. And they're going to the other side to preach to people that had not yet been ministered to by Jesus. He gives the parable of the mustard seed and the application of faith. And these guys are obeying Jesus and find themselves in the middle of the storm anyway. I can't tell you the number of times as a minister, people come to me and go, you know, preacher, I've really committed myself to Christ. In in the last weeks or months, I've really made a commitment to read scripture and to pray. And I've tried to give up these habits in my life. And I've tried to do this thing better. And all of a sudden, this has happened to me. I lost my job. My health is trashed. I have relationship issues. and, And I'm trying to do what's right but I find myself in the middle of a storm. Been there? The disciples, it's easy to kind of look at them and go, those guys should have known. They were with Jesus, but these were seasoned fishermen, and they were in a boat-killing storm. all because they had done exactly what Jesus asked them to do. And it was at that point that God could perform miracles. See, we we make a commitment, we renew a commitment or make a commitment to live for Christ. Satan's going to oppose that. We should expect storms. We don't. You know, preacher preaches, and we might pray, and maybe we we really decide we're going to change some things in our life, and maybe the, the Holy Spirit starts working in us, and good things start happening. We should expect opposition to that, but normally we do not. What we expect is 
blessings and goodness and grace. And God does provide those things, but we still may find ourselves in the middle of a storm. The disciples did, and it wasn't for lack of obedience. But their lack of faith was exposed. Their lack of faith was exposed. This is what Jesus criticized them. He didn't, he did criticize them for being afraid. But I think more than that was their lack of faith. And it's it's understandable when you think about the circumstance. It's raining. It's blowing. The boat is tossing to and fro. Water crashing in and the boat taking on water. And as it takes on water, it sinks. And it's not riding as high as it was. And then it begins to take on more water. And if you're a fisherman, you understand at some point it will reach a critical mass and the bow or the back of that boat will will get too far under, and then you're done for. You're literally sunk. And in the middle of that, it's kind of hard to have faith, isn't it? See, I don't think we ought to judge the disciples too hard. Because... When everything is calm, it's easy to think clearly. But in the storm, sometimes all you can see is the wind and the rain. I want us to look quickly at the beginning of Mark chapter 5. It's a lot of verses here, but we're going to move quickly through this because I want us to see the contrast. So they arrived, Mark 5.1, at the other side of the lake in the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, He snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. When Jesus was still some distance away, the the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. You talk about a campfire story. You talk about every little kid in this entire region had heard of this guy. Don't go past that hill. You go on the other side of that hill and you'll be inside of those burial caves. And if you're quiet at night, you can hear his howling. (laughs) You're telling me that wasn't going on? You know it was. And the thing was, it wasn't just a wives' tale. It was real. You know there's some kid that hadn't seen it, 
that thought it was fake. You guys are just joshing me. No, man, it's real. My dad was with a group of guys one time that had to go out and try to grab him. They chained him up. That guy just smacked his his hands and his wrists on the on the rocks until the chains broke. You're like, you're making that up. And then one day that kid's out and he hears a shriek and a howl and there's this naked guy screaming at him with a chain still hanging off of his wrist and that kid's eyes get about that big around and he's like, I believe. You know that happened. Because I, I know the way kids think. You're like, how do you know, preacher? Because I still think out me. And then this guy, we know he's naked from other gospels. I didn't just make that part up, okay? And this guy comes up to Jesus. I'm sure at this point, don't you think his disciples are a little frazzled? Right? They've had the storm, the calming of the storm. Now they roll up and they're like, Okay, I hope this day goes well. And here comes this guy. I don't know if they'd heard about him or not. But with a shriek, he screamed, verse 7, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the Spirit, Come out of the man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus demanded, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, because there are many of us inside this man. Then the evil spirits begged him again and again not to send them to some distant place. What is going on here is just, it's amazing. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about the mechanics and the hierarchy of demons and demonic things and possession But there's a conversation that's happening between Jesus and these demonic beings that are possessing this man. And Jesus says, come out of them. These demons, the Bible says that the man bows, acknowledges Jesus as God the Most High. And says, don't torture us. He doesn't say, let's fight and see who wins. That's already settled in this hierarchy. These guys know exactly who Jesus is and the power that he possesses as Almighty God. What they're doing is begging for mercy. Don't torture us. Don't send us too far away. And again, we don't even know what, like, what is that? It's hard to even fully understand what they were begging for, but what they asked for is amazing. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. Send us into those pigs, the spirits begged. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission. The evil spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd of about 2,000 pigs plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned in the water. Now picture, if you will, 2,000 dead pigs bobbing in the water. What in the world? This had to have been the most amazing thing anybody had ever seen. If I'm the disciples, I'm just literally going, now I've seen it all. Do you know what my last 24 hours has been like? 
Jesus is talking to these demonic spirits, and they're like, well, let us go into the pig. And Jesus is finally like, okay, interesting. They don't do anything without his permission. That ought to give us a little faith. Amen? And 2,000 pigs plunge to their death. I mean, I just think about that. 2,000 pigs, you know, they're oinking or whatever pigs do. You know, they make those noises. <laughs> Some of you are like, that is the worst impression of a pig I've ever seen. I agree. But they're squawking and oinking and running down, and they all, I get, I don't know. I Pigs can't swim, apparently. Or maybe these pigs just, they were diving. I don't know what happened. But I imagine after they were dead, they floated. Oh, the Jews couldn't touch him. But other guys were probably thinking, free bacon if you can fish for pigs, I guess. I don't know. You're like, this is absurd. I agree. Here's what I want to get to. Verse 14. The herdsmen fled. No kidding. They're out there watching these pigs. They're probably just trying to stay a safe distance from the crazy chained guy that lives in the burial case. But maybe that's where the best grass was, so they got a little close. Maybe they could hear him shrieking. Maybe they saw him talking to a, a group of guys that just rolled up in a boat. I don't know if they could hear what was happening or not, but all of a sudden, 2,000 pigs turn and run to their death. And the herdsmen are like, we're out of here. They fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. You think? Hey, shouldn't you guys be out watching the pigs? You cannot believe what just happened. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Other Gospels tell us that he, he was just looking at Jesus. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. Were dead, the man was healed. And looking at that, they said, Why don't you just go away? They begged him to go away and leave them alone. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. No kidding, he didn't care about those pigs. Now, it's kind of sad that 2,000 pigs died, I guess, but if you're a man that was possessed with that much demonic oppression and you had lived like that, I imagine that seemed like a pretty small thing. That now you're in your right mind. You're free. He begs to go with Jesus, but Jesus said, no, 
Go home to your family. Tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how mercifully he has been. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region and began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Man, was changed. I use this verse all the time, but I love 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. It's gone. And a new life has begun. You talk about a change in this guy. I mean, imagine the, the, the marks on his body. I don't know what's required to break chains, but it must have, it must have affected him. I was thinking about this this week, and I thought, I don't even, what did this guy eat? Did people bring food out and just, like, throw it at him like a lion in a cage? Did he, did he steal from people? I don't know. But it, it was a horrible existence. He apparently had a family. They must have been ashamed, heartbroken, terrified. You don't invite that guy over for the holidays, do you? Imagine you had been, apparently at times they needed to try to subdue this guy. So there have been groups that tried to do it and they couldn't. Can you imagine you're one of the guys that just got backhanded by this dude and knocked silly for like an hour and now you see him walking down the street and he's telling you what Jesus had done? Don't you think as he's telling you what Jesus has done, you're also kind of a little flinchy? And his life was changed. A new life began. Think about the issues of faith here. Let's just try to tie all these stories together as we're closing this. The disciples obeyed Jesus, but they found themselves in a storm. Were they ever really in danger? God wasn't, Jesus wasn't going to die that way, and neither were the disciples. God had a plan, but it's so easy to look at the storm. Interesting, too, that they didn't go to Jesus as soon as the storm came up. They waited until they thought they were going to die. Jesus goes over and performs this miracle in, in this man, and these pigs die. But the people seeing what happened, I don't know. I was thinking, and I read, I couldn't really find any scholars who were authoritative on this, but 2,000 pigs seems like a lot. Was that a community herd in these herdsmen? You know, did, did was a guy like, well, those are my 10 pigs and these are your 12 pigs, but we'll hire these guys to watch them and everybody lost something? I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But I know that when confronted with what Jesus had done, the, the majority of the people said, we would rather you leave us alone. We would rather the pigs not die and this guy be destined to, to the existence that he had for the rest of his life.
Jesus went away. But for the demon-possessed man, what a day that was. What a day that was. And so my challenge to you this morning is this. Are you going through a storm? Maybe it's a storm of your own making. If it is, you need to turn to Jesus and repent. Maybe it's not, and you just need to turn to Jesus for help. But it's in those storms that he can perform miracles. I believe God is at work in our church in a special way. I am so looking forward to this year. I was talking to someone this morning, and they were telling me the difficulties that they've encountered just in this month. And I know that they are not alone. I know that for a lot of folks, January, this is the last Sunday of January, and I know for a lot of folks, you cannot wait for this month to get over quick enough. It's been rough. But don't think that God is not at work just because there's a storm. Don't think that God is not at work just because crazy things are happening around you. I believe God wants to release people that are bound by Satan's power. I believe God wants to calm storms and waves and show himself mighty in many different ways. But we have to have the faith in him because the God that calmed the storm, the God that cast out the demons, the God that demons beg him and he commands them. It's the same God we serve. It's the God that dwells within us if we know Christ is our Savior. And so let us face those storms, not on our own and maybe just with a mustard seed of faith, but knowing we serve a powerful God. When we look at others, when we encounter people that seem under the power of Satan, that seem unable to be subdued, when evil runs rampant, let us remember that a, a posse of men, some chains and some shackles, may not be able to contain a man, but the words of Jesus Christ can utterly change his life. And that is the God that we serve. And I'm asking God in our church as a whole and in our lives as individuals to just begin to plant mustard seeds of faith and that we might see God do big and amazing things. Let's pray this morning. God, we are imperfect, sinful people. Lord, we may not like to think about it, especially on a Sunday morning in church, but the reality is that like the your apostles, we are often men and women who lack faith. God, I pray that you would help us to plant those mustard seeds of faith. You would help us 
to, in belief, cry out to you. And God, that we would see you do amazing and marvelous things. Lord, I pray for men and women and families today that are in the middle of storms. God, they're dealing with health issues and financial struggles and relational issues and addictions and all kinds of things, Lord. And God, they need you to come in the middle of that and rebuke those waves and rebuke that wind and rebuke that rain and bring calm and peace. And God, I pray that you would begin to do that. Lord, maybe there's men and women here that feel like they are shackled by Satan's power, or maybe they're dealing with a, with somebody in their life that they feel that way about. And God, they need you to come in in your power and intervene in a miraculous way. God, I pray that you would do that work, that you, through our small faith would begin to do large and mighty things because you are a big and a mighty God. We love you today, God. We thank you for your goodness this morning, and we ask that you would work as you did in the times of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things.